You're listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense with your host, Doug Thorpe. Here's Doug. Well, greetings, everyone. You're listening to another episode of Leadership Powered by Common Sense. I am Doug Thorpe, your host, and it's a pleasure to be back with you today. I have a guest that I found who has a very interesting twist on the coaching game. As many of you who listen know, I certainly am myself a business coach and executive leadership development professional, but there are many different ways that we as coaches can try to reach our clients and help those that we serve. And my guest today has a very, very interesting twist on that. Her name is Erin Whalen. And Erin, welcome to the show. Hi, Doug. Thank you for having me. So I want to let you kind of tell the story of what this very interesting alternative way of doing things may be. And as is tradition on our show, we usually start with a bit of your backstory. And what were you doing that led you to go into what you're doing now? So it's it's all connected, right? So what I was doing prior to coaching was I was a freelance actor in the Washington, D.C. metro area, and I'm still dabbling in it a little bit, but I've uh, been doing that uh, quote unquote full time since 2006. So, you know, the bulk of my income has come from from different various acting gigs and opportunities and uh, what I noticed was there was a lot of opportunity out there that people aren't necessarily even aware of when you think of acting. So for instance, one of the things that I started to do a lot of was I was working at various medical institutions. They hire actors, um, specifically med schools do this. They hire actors to play patients so that future doctors and future nurse practitioners and future RNs, different medical professionals, future medical professionals can practice having some more challenging conversations in that safe environment when they're practicing with someone who's pretending to be a patient before they're actually out there practicing medicine as a full-fledged doctor. So I did a lot of that. I still do some of that. And I was getting to the point where I was invited to train other actors for this type of work. And I really loved it. And I really loved the hard stuff. Um, I was invited to train actors for some of the more challenging roles that they were playing. So it could be someone who was a victim of domestic violence or someone who was uh, receiving a, a bad news, a some kind of diagnosis. So they were learning how to break bad news to a patient. So I really found that those, those more challenging um, conversations were really where my heart was. Like how, how cool is it that actors can help future doctors? Like I never knew that existed. <laughs> um, really? Yeah. 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 So fast forward to, you know, when I founded my business, I, it took me a long time. I founded my business in the fall of 2020 and it wasn't until maybe a year ago, maybe a year and a half ago that I really decided, Oh, wait a minute. Like I'm, I'm beyond a life coach. Like, yes, I did my training in, 
in, you know, becoming a life coach, but what I have my background in is more communication skills coaching. So, you know, I've been doing that type of work for a very long time. And then I went through the coaching certification program so that I can add that to my arsenal, but I'm really using these, these acting skills in a way and combining them with my coaching skills to help people communicate more effectively and compassionately. Well, I'm, I'm thinking of one modality that we use in coaching, and that is doing the role play. Yeah. And oftentimes coaches, and I've done it countless times with my own clients, we assume a persona, maybe it's a boss that somebody's having trouble with, or maybe it's a coworker or direct report they're having trouble with, and you, you play it out and... Um, you know, I've always, it's funny you bring it up because I've always thought as effective as I think that is, I certainly do not consider myself an actor and, you know, my ability to probably effectively emote, uh, you know, whatever is, is yeah. there for the moment. Uh, but, you know, we, we seem to get through it, so it's okay, <laughs> yeah. but yeah. it's very interesting. And I'm, I'm going to be honest, I don't know that I've ever heard someone describe the packaging of, of the service the way you've got it. Mm. So it must be a very compelling value proposition when you go to these institutions and, and work with people like that. Yeah, I think, I think it has the upside of being very innovative and it has the downside of being very innovative because <laughs> yeah. some people are not willing to take the risk on something that, you know, you don't necessarily have a, an experience with, or an understanding of, because, you know, we, we now know more about, you know, what a leadership coach does, what an executive coach does. But when we're looking at, you know, Hey, I'm going to bring in my professional role players who've been doing this for, you know, a dozen years um, who've been professional actors that can go into whoever the persona is and, and be that person. Cause I know when, when we do it as coaches, um, and I've been a professional role player for a long time too. I, I'll never forget the first time I did both the facilitating, like the coaching with a group and the role playing. I took like a four hour nap afterwards, Doug. I was like, <laughs> Spent. And I like done professional role playing for a long time. So I find that, you know, I bring in my role players so that I can focus on the facilitation and the coaching and, and kind of holding that space for everyone present. And then I bring someone in who's going to only be doing the role playing component. But a lot of companies are like, Oh, we do role playing too. And it's like, yes, you do. And yet like, here's this other piece of people who do it professionally and can really become, then here's the other thing. Like we can't unknow what we know. Right. So like as a coach, we can't unknow these ways of doing things. We can't, as a, say you're, you know, in real estate and you're like, I'm, I'm a real estate agent and I know everything about real estate, but I'm going to pretend that I'm a home buyer. It's like, you can't do it as effectively as someone who can step into that role and really empty themselves of themselves so that they can fully be that home buyer and, and have the skill set to do it in a way that they're also paying attention to 
okay, I'm going to talk about this when we debrief it. I'm going to talk about this. I'm, I'm clocking what's happening right now. Right now I'm feeling dismissed or right now I'm feeling discouraged or right now I'm feeling talked down to, and I'm going to remember that moment so that I can talk about it later. Um, that takes a certain level of skill set that, you know, I've been doing it for a long time and I, I applaud you, Doug, because like, I have a hard time going into role play when I'm coaching someone. Um, so for you to do it, wow, way to go. <laughs> well, again, I, I want to accentuate, I, I certainly do it because I, I think there are moments when it's a very appropriate way to mm. reframe a situation. And uh, one, a couple of examples that come to mind when I've got a client who, let's say, is is lamenting a struggle with their boss. So mm -hmm. the classic question is, gee, Doug, how do I manage up the organization? Mm -hmm. And that in and of itself is a topic for a whole nother episode because I <laughs> philosophically don't agree that that's an opportunity. I don't. Mm -hmm. I don't think you can technically manage up your, you can influence and you can inspire and you can participate, but you're not going to change behaviors going up the hill. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that aside, what I'll do, I'll say, I'll ask my client, let's role play a minute. And, uh, and they immediately go to, well, Doug's going to be my boss and I'm going to be me and I'm going to, you know, yeah. try to make this case. But what I do, I put it on them. I say, okay, you be the boss. You Ooh. show me what you're dealing with. I love it. And I'll be you and I will play out what I believe, you know, perhaps an, another or a different response can be to the moment. Oh, I love that. And it's interesting. There's there was a, <clears throat> there are byproducts of that. I have had clients go through that process, and then you they'll say, you know, maybe I need to give my boss some slack. I didn't think about <laughs> how how challenging this can be, and now that I have to kind of you know sort of uh, what do you call it symbolically step in their shoes. Yes. You know, I I maybe need to think about this differently. <laughs> yeah, I love that because they they have now taken on that perspective and they have a renewed sense of what it must be like from the boss's perspective. And and you gave them that opportunity. That's beautiful. It's empathy. I love it. So when you go into these moments. I mean, I'm thinking about a lot of different things and I love what you said about bringing the players in who can sort of measure and clock the events and the responses so they can provide feedback later. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think that's such a critical part of this process. I mean, we can role play, we can game play, we can do all these simulations but without collecting the data points to have meaningful discussions, I, I think a lot gets lost. And and quite frankly, that's probably why companies in general, you know, pause when they think about this proposition. Mm -hmm. you know, let, let's bring in an actor to, to work through our communication scenarios. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's really key is that that's the beauty of it that that someone can say okay this is this is what i was feeling when you said this or when you did this and and it really is 
learnable, improvable skills that we're talking about, right? Because it, it really comes down to objective behaviors, things that we can notice that someone is doing or saying, like, for instance, you know, you're, you're, you're looking intently, you know, you're engaged. If we were in person, you would be making eye contact with me right now and you're nodding your head. And so, you know, as, as you're nodding your head and as you're attempting to make eye contact and as you're smiling, as I'm, as I'm talking, Doug, I feel listened to. Right. And so we can talk through that and say, oh, okay. So like generally speaking, nodding along as someone is talking, smiling at appropriate times, making eye contact, those are skills that, that help people feel listened to. And so it's, it's about the feedback and it's also about making it repeatable, making it something that people who are observing can also say, oh yeah, I noticed that. I noticed that. I noticed that they sighed relief when, when that happened. Oh, a sigh of relief usually means someone feels more comfortable or someone feels relieved or, you know, whatever it is. And so, and so, yeah, I think the feedback is, is really the the crucial part. And, and it is a real skill set to be able to say like, yes, I am your person, you know, whoever you want to practice having that conversation with. And I'm also like, like I said before, like clocking those moments and, and, I'm in the moment. I'm like fully that person. And yet there's this other part of me that's, that's ready to talk about it later. Like that is, that is a whole other level of skill set that my role players bring to it. That is just um, so important because we, we rarely get that feedback, right? We think about companies, you think about exit interviews. You're like, why did you wait until now to tell me this, you know, thing, Right, right. <laughs> but why can't we get the feedback sooner and, and, and learn, learn how we're communicating, learn how we're coming across because a lot of it could actually just be, you know, a miscommunication. Oh my gosh. I didn't intend to be dismissive. I didn't intend for that to happen. Um, so getting that, getting that feedback from a, from an unbiased, uninvolved yet fully embodied person can really help. So you mentioned the scenario with the medical schools and, and doing this role play with aspiring doctors, but when we flip it over to the business side, not that medical schooling is not a business, uh, but I mean, more of a corporate setting, mm-hmm. you know, I'm an engineer and I've got a team of engineers I have to manage. How do you typically set that up for them or or what might be the ask when someone comes calling to you mm-hmm. and wants to explore solutions for that? So it's really about getting into their world, right? Because you're right, medicine is different from engineering and yet there's, there's a lot the same, right? So when we're talking about teaching communication skills with this interactive type of, of modality, it's a lot of the same things that we end up talking through. We talk about active listening. We talk about empathy. We talk about taking on that other person's perspective. Like you said earlier with, with, you know, in your own experience with coaching that they, they got this new perspective of what the boss must be going through, but you really do have to understand that world, right? You really do have to understand, okay, what is the day-to-day life of the engineer? What is what is the challenge? What is the, you know, is it that you're having a challenge with within the team? Is it that you're having a challenge with clients? Is it that you're having a challenge with vendors? Like who, who are we talking about? What is that like? 
Um, and, and so because communication skills are just part of our humanity, the focus of like, I want to work on empathy is like, okay, the role player can go into it pretty quickly, but it does take some crafting and some understanding to know what that particular industry is like. Um, so it's, it's a little bit of both. It's both kind of meta and then like meta, Hey, we all need empathy. And then it's more granular of, well, tell me more about your, your life and, and, you know, give me, give me insight as to what you are going through and what you're struggling with, because I think it's important. You know, I never go in as like, this is the program. It's like, no, I, I need you to tell me what your life is like so that I can create programming that will help support you in what you're, what you're dealing with and what you're challenged by. When, when you go in and begin working with a group, to, to what degree do you see the influence of sort of classic personality assessment? You know, mm. you, you think of the DISC and the Myers-Briggs and the introverts versus extroverts and all those various combinations and uh, I know Myers-Briggs gets into the empathy part. Mm -hmm. Some people are prone to be more empathetic than others mm -hmm. just because of their core personalities. How do you see that playing out in what you have to do? It plays out, but I never want to go into it with that being the only thing that I'm thinking of because okay. it's important to be able to say, okay, you know, this person says they're an introvert and I have a level of knowledge about what that means. And yet I don't want to ever dismiss that person and their introversion based on my own biases. Right. So it helps to have a little bit of the framework and to have that knowledge. And yet everyone is just so unique. Um, I remember there's someone very close to me that when I was first starting to get into medical education and communication skills and empathy, and I was like, I'm going to empathize with this person. And, and like, I was doing all the things, right. I was doing textbook empathy and they're like, no, like, I hate when you do that is not working. And I'm like, no, this is how you use empathy. And they're like, no, like, don't do that with me. <laughs> so like, even even how, and this was someone I'm very close to and know a lot about. And so you can't, you, it's okay to have the framework, but I don't let that dictate how things are going to go because everyone has their own unique flavor and responses. And, you know, we're only there for a snapshot of time. Like this person has a whole history of, what their life has been like and, and how they were raised and what the current dynamic at the co company is and, you know, their own internal dialogue. And, you know, there's just so much that I can never go in assuming that I have full knowledge of someone that's, that would be really, um, really shallow of me to, to think that. Well, you bring up a good point, and I'm going to shift gears just slightly on that lead. Um, what comes to mind as you're describing your friend, you know, there's a lot of work that's been done and books have been published about the so-called five love languages. Mm -hmm. And there's, mm -hmm. there's extension of that thinking that I think goes into business communication. Yeah. You may be a very well-intended, high-principled, high-integrity leader, 
but you're going to find that people you're talking to in your organization and on your team are just not connecting with what you're putting out there. Yep. And it, it takes a little bit of exploration to discover that, you know, people do receive things differently and using the, again, the principle of the five love languages, you may be breaking your neck trying to make your your loved one appreciate you and feel warm and nurtured and everything, but you're not speaking the right language. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm a huge Gary Chapman fan. And yeah. the fact that you brought up the love languages is just so key. And I think that's so true. And I think that it, there's absolutely a parallel with our work life because, um, and communication is a two-way street. It's it's never like, oh, I did the thing and they misunderstood me and it's their fault. It's, well, let's look at your messaging. Let's look at how you did it. Let's look at the words you use. Let's look at your tone, all of your nonverbals. Just because they misunderstood doesn't mean that it's 100% their fault. It's it's both. And so with the love languages too, yeah, how do you find out how that other person receives love and and it's important to speak that language to them. And so, yeah, there may be employee benefit programs or accolades that people don't care about. <laughs> like, right, people right. may absolutely not care about, you know, <clears throat> the shout out email. Um, they may really want, you know, donuts on Fridays or, you know, whatever it is, like you have to find out what your employees and what your team respond to. And it's going to be different. You're not going to end up with an entire team that says, yes, donuts on Friday are absolutely everything that we want in life. And then we're good. Like it's going to vary person to person. So you have to take the time to get to know your, your people. Business is all about solving complex problems as fast as you can create them. Become the best problem solver by leading others to greatness too. And the first step is going to DougThorpe.com. DougThorpe is known globally for coaching entrepreneurs and business leaders, improving their performance and the work output of everyone surrounding them. You can find health, wealth, and happiness by learning to lead others to health, wealth, and happiness. Go to DougThorpe.com now and order Doug's books or hire him to coach your managers. That's Doug, T-H-O-R-P-E.com. So uh, with that said, I, I would love to get your take, and, and you kind of alluded to it just now. You, you were talking about the communication being a two-way street, and, and when someone is not receiving, it's not totally on them, but it's on the leader to be able to sense that and and maybe reshape it and, and go at it again. There's a, I'm going to get your take on this. There's a, there's a principle that I try to tell leaders when I'm working with them about communication that I think goes forgotten or unknown or people aren't dialed into it. And that is that in, in my way of thinking, communication is ultimately a four part exercise. Mm. And real quick, without belaboring each one, the, it starts with the idea in your head. You're the leader. You've got a, a thought that you need to communicate to a person or your team. So you bubble that up, and then you start trying to present it. That's step two, whether it's spoken or written, you're putting it out there. But, you know, first breakdown happens. How many of us have, have had the moment where we've thought something, we've said something, and you go, ooh, that didn't come out like I was thinking about it. <laughs> and and so you want to reel it back in because you know it it doesn't jive with what you were really trying to do. 
but that that gets it out of your head and then in into the air around and the person receiving it becomes step three and four and step three is just the basic receptor that somebody has which you can think of it as kind of a filter they're they're sort of assessing and managing and 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 blocking through whatever it is you're saying and their filter may be cloudy or maybe somehow askew and right there it starts to break down so that that's the classic lost in translation kind of idea we see it in bilingual multilingual people trying to communicate and maybe they don't get a nuance of a phrase in the other language correct and the audience is going what (laughs) (laughs) but then here's a really important one step four is your recipients processing how they absorb what it is they heard or saw and I I use the issue that people have trigger words Mm -hmm. you know just hearing a word can send them off in very bad directions or dark places So the word you might have used in your message might be that trigger word for one of your people and in the moment you might be able to see that going on in in a little bit of reaction and body language and facial expression and such like what what is that you know well you know one of those two steps is is having a problem but um i encourage leaders to realize that they have skin in the game for all four parts Mm. and while the last two are not exclusively on them i argue that they need to be sensitive as leaders that there can be breakdown in the communication and as the old phrase goes a confused mind says no if if this person you're working for working with or perhaps it's a client or in the case of a doctor a patient if you see them not processing correctly that is ultimately a form of confusion and in, in, in their mind and ultimately in their spirit they're going to say nope not going there not doing it not buying it i love that four-part framework i think it's I think it's spot on. I would just add, just as the receiver has a filter, the speaker, the leader in this case has a filter too. Like they're, the way that they're communicating in step two is going through their filter. And um, I love this. And I love how you ensure that the leader is still present for step three and four. Cause sometimes the temptation is to be like, well, I did it. I sent the memo. I had the conversation. I did the one-on-one I'm done. My part is done, but being curious and open to the recipient's response is part of the conversation. It should never be I said this and you heard it, the end, it should be a dialogue. And so I love how you said, you know, it could be a look of confusion, a, you know, a squint, a, a crossing of the arms. It could right. be some sort of nonverbal reaction, <clears throat> you know, and so being open to that and having the leader say something along the lines of, you know, okay, I just, I just shared some big news. What are you thinking? Right. Or how are you feeling or some kind of open-ended question to get the recipient to open up. And also I think considering that that step four 
happens at different stages. So the processing is going to happen. It's going to start happening in that moment, but it's going to continue that processing. And some people are deep processors and that processing may take a longer time. And so, you know, just because you had the conversation on Tuesday doesn't mean by Wednesday it's wrapped up. Like that person might be processing until next Tuesday and need another check-in and, and need another, you know, hey, what, what are your thoughts on what we talked about? Um, because the, a lot of us, myself included, you know, sometimes it's, it's going to take a while for that message to really sink in and go through. So I might even email you later, Doug, and be like, I was thinking about the four stage process you talked about. And I have some more thoughts. Like I could very well email you in a week and, and share that with you or a month. I hope you do. I think uh, I, I do think it's such a vital part in a in a leadership toolkit to have that extra dimension of of your understanding of what it means to be a good communicator, mm-hmm. because there, there's no doubt the if if you're in a role of leadership, you're going to have different settings. You're going to have the one-on-ones, you're going to have the small group, you're going to have large group. Mm -hmm. You might have up-level, down-level, all various forms. And you might feel very compelled to seriously adjust your communication style, depending on that circumstance. Mm -hmm. But I I do caution my clients about taking that style change too far. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, for instance, and this is kind of a radical example, but just to get the point, if you're generally an introvert, you're kind of that quiet, calm leader, and that's your persona for the people immediately around you that know you best. And you choose to get up in front of an audience like a town hall of some sort, and you come across as the vibrant, bubbly cheerleader type, people are going to be going, what? (laughs) No, 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 no. Stop, stop, stop. And it it kind of breaks down before it ever gets started. Yes, I agree with you. I agree with you 100%. And, And to know our limits as leaders, right? I think that's important. And to say, okay, I'm the leader, and yet I don't have to be the one to get up at the town hall. My right hand man or woman is you know, the one who can carry that, I'm going to, I'm going to let them lead in that moment because they're more suited to that. I think that's an excellent point. And I remember, um, cause I'm an introvert, like strongly, like a very strong introvert. And I remember speaking of like the, the different personality types, Myers-Briggs, just all that stuff. For a long time, I was really into the four temperaments. I don't know if you're familiar with the four temperaments, but I had a moment of like crisis because I always would describe myself as a sanguine melancholic because, you know, the melancholic is, is, um, tends to be the introverted an introverted type, but, but holds on, like really has like a longevity to their processing has a longevity to their experiences. And, um, the sanguine is like, ah, like just, bubbly, joyful, out there, extroverted. Yeah. And I always thought I was both. And then I had this like moment of crisis. I was reading in a book and it said, if you like, those are, those are polar opposite temperaments. So if you, you can't be both now, granted, you know, I don't know, maybe you can, but like, I had this moment where I was like, oh, what do you mean? I can't be both. Like, 
And then I realized, oh, no, no, no. Like the book said, like, one of them is a mask. You're wearing a mask. And I was like, oh no, like I am wearing the sanguine mask. Like I am trying to be bubbly, happy, extroverted when that is not my true nature. And so I've really learned how to embrace like, no, I'm an introvert and, and I enjoy the one-on-ones and I enjoy, you know, being by myself and, and, you know, the leadership aspect of, you know, leading a team or leading, you know, a group is harder for me. And so I have to accommodate that myself. I have to say, I like to, I prefer to co-lead. Like if I'm going to facilitate a session, I'm going to, I prefer to bring in a co-facilitator because I know that's going to allow me to be the best version of me and to give the best offering to the people that, that need me that day. Yeah. Very interesting. And maybe it's an obvious question, but that's interesting. You describe that mask. Isn't that what acting is all about? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I mean, yes and no. It's, you know, there, there are different theories. Like, are you a method actor? Are you like, like Daniel Day-Lewis who like becomes the person he's portraying? Um, So there are levels, but you know, it really, I, I personally think, and, and as far as the acting that I do these days, which is more like the role playing and playback theater, um, it really is more for me about stepping into the humanity of that person. And, you know, I, I don't know what it's like to be a black man in the U S but I do know what it's like to be, you know, um, feeling overlooked or, you know, feeling unsafe or, you know, whatever it is. So like, I can't step into someone's persona completely, but I can step into emotions. I can step into our shared humanity. I can step into my own life experiences that are similar to the ones that I'm portraying. Yeah. I've side note here, and uh, I've for some time have argued the majority of actors, and I think about the you know the big screen, you know really famous Hollywood people. I argue that I don't think they take roles too far off of who they really are. Mm. Now there there are some obvious exceptions to that that have have played a wide range of of characters and. Yeah. and you know that's probably the the true upper echelon of that skill and talent but but generally when you when you plot the body of work that people have done like you know there there are a lot of actors that have had wonderful careers but they kind of get slotted in pretty much the same personas yeah yeah i like that theory i think i think you're onto something doug <laughs> and and you know it on one hand it it provide some credibility of the character. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, there are those that have famously, you know, done 180s and taken on some really big challenges mm. and things and what they do and how they did it. I, um, I, not saying one way or the other, but I just uh, recently finished Matthew McConaughey's book and I thought the story about his... Um, his preparation for Dallas Buyers Club that got him the Oscar, you know, his idea, he needed to lose 50 something pounds to be able to portray that character. And he had this rigorous 
diet that was awful. I couldn't imagine going two days with <laughs> what he was doing. Three egg whites in the morning, five ounces of fish and vegetables at lunch, and all the wine he could drink. Oh, my gosh. That, that, that was sounds, his diet for six months. terrible. And I'm like, oh, goodness. <laughs> but, uh, you know, a, a, applause for the, the commitment to make it happen. And, and of, of course, the rest is history. And he, he did pull it off and wow. did quite well in that role. But Yeah, I want to read that book. It's, it's on my want to read list. Well, it, you know, what I'll say to the crowd here, it, it, it's a good one. You, you know, you have to be prepared. Matthew's Matthew. He's, <laughs> he's rough around some of the edges and, and the book is likewise. So yeah, you know, yeah. uh, guard your ears and heart if you, if, if strong language is a problem for you, but, but it's not, it's not overwhelming. It just, mm. it's interspersed in, in seemingly appropriate moments. Mm. So yeah you yeah. just get the persona there but uh no it, it, it actually is an uplifting book i mean his his ultimate story of love for family and his passion for being a dad and doing what he does is comes through pretty yeah. loud and clear yeah um let me ask you one other thing it's totally shifting gears in 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 your experience what about the generational impact of of challenges with communication oof wow that is a big question that is a big question um, tell me more what you're thinking with that, Doug. Well, I, I, I'm thinking of it, it's not uncommon that I go into a place and a very senior leader or a company owner who is, you know, late 40s, 50s, even in the 60s, you know, is sitting there saying, I'm really struggling with my millennials and all the young people mm. in my operation. They just don't communicate the way I do. We can't seem to ever connect properly. And, uh, you know, it's driving me crazy. And, and then you go talk to them kind of in a form of a 360 and, you know, they're saying the exact same thing. Mm. My boss doesn't understand me. I can't, I can't seem to get across what I'm thinking and how I'm doing it. Yeah. And, and part of me, just for what it's worth, I argue a, a bit of a, again, another contrarian position. They're just people. You, yeah. you just need to have that peel away all the, the business load that you've got and go meet them where they are. Yes. Oh, I love that. I love that. I think that's the solution because we've probably had this challenge, you know, from the beginning of time, to be honest, because especially in this day and age, things with technology change so fast. And I think that that has affected the way we communicate. I mean, think of how, um, how, how things have been abbreviated even since texting came along and how, you know, we can have an entire conversation just with acronyms. And so, you know, communication cannot help but be impacted by the advances in technology. And generationally, I think you're absolutely right that there is a, an apparent disconnect, but it is really about meeting people where they are. I think that's, I think that's the solution, Doug. And I think that it is about, you know, getting to know, just like we were saying earlier, like getting to know how your team 
communicates? What's their love language, so to speak? What do they, you know, what do they appreciate? What do they want? Do they want a bonus or do they want donuts on Friday? Do they want a shout out at the town hall or do they want to lead the town hall? Like what, what are the things that speak to them? And, and I think that if there is more open dialogue and vulnerability too, it does take vulnerability for the boss who's, you know, maybe a generation or two higher above the, the millennials, like it does take some vulnerability for them to say, look, you know, I, I really would love for us to connect. I really would love for us to have a, you know, very, um, thriving team and, and where everyone feels that they're heard and, and everyone feels that they're listened to and appreciated. So let's talk about that. Like, how, how do you accept appreciation? Like, what are you looking for? What are you trying to tell me that I'm not hearing? I think approaching it with vulnerability and, and not a sense of defensiveness, um, because yeah, it is about just meeting them where they are and finding out what's important to them. Yeah. Well, and part of that is, is getting off the, um, well, as we say down here, the high horse of, yeah of right versus wrong you know yes. i'm the boss my way's right and whatever yes. you're doing is wrong until you start doing it my way and uh, that's a throwback to command and control it's a throwback to very autocratic leadership which i argue in the modern world is quickly on its way out the door thank goodness and uh yeah thank goodness <laughs> and um i i do think it is about having that vulnerability as the leader to just say, we're apparently not connecting here mm -hmm. and I'm open. I'm listening. Talk to me, explain what it is we're doing. The one caveat to that is I have, I have had many people and myself included as I've gone out to try to work with younger so-called high potentials that are in companies and they're up and coming and and maybe this is a shout out that I'll make to those you know younger folks in the work world you too need to be authentic and real yeah because those of us have been around for a while we too have bs meters operating and <laughs> when you tell us something we can tell whether you're being genuine or not mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and if 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 we if we do open up our side of the table and we're trying to be, you know, genuinely authentic and, and laying that out there, uh, you know, don't mess us around with a lot of BS answer or, or try to create the answer you think we're looking for. If we tell you we're wanting an open discussion, that's what we're trying to do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and we yeah, all got to get real. Yeah. And that goes back to what we were saying before about it being, you know, a two-way street that, you know, everyone's responsible for that conversation and how it's coming across and how it's received. It's, it's really important to, especially if someone's going to be vulnerable, it's really important to, you know, accept that and, and not come back with a sense of their own armor or their, you know, the... Um, just disregarding that, like just, just a sense of not wanting to share or not being open back um, because that's, and, and it's also about, you know, making sure that the environment is a place where people feel that they can share openly. So, you know, 
It has to be more than one attempt. <laughs> right, know? right. If, if you have a history no, I agree. Of being, you know, it's a, it being a toxic culture, it's going to take time before people feel that safety is genuine. Right, for sure. And the whole idea of building a team culture on psychological safety and trust, uh, that too is a whole nother episode. <laughs> yeah, I know. We could talk for hours. But unfortunately, Aaron, we're going to have to wrap this up. This has been wonderful. And I really appreciate you uh, sitting in and going over this. Tell folks the best way to get a hold of you if they're interested in learning more. Well, the best way, since I'm a one-on-one -on -one kind of gal, just send me an email. I can be reached at Erin, E-R-I-N, at CompassionateCoaching.org. My website is www.CompassionateCoaching.org. And you can also find me on LinkedIn. Um, it'll be in the show notes, I'm sure, because it's a little right. bit convoluted, but it's erin Whalen, W-H-A-L-E-N-Compassionate-Coaching. Great. Great. Well, again, I, I really appreciate it. And yes, folks, all that info will be in the show notes as always. And this is the point of the show where I remind everybody we do have a video version of this over on YouTube, channel by the same name, Leadership Powered by Common Sense. It's been a pleasure to work with you and uh, share this moment I hope you have taken some nuggets from this and can go out and apply these things in your own day to day. If you need help, call a coach. It's a, it's a great opportunity to get that independent sort of guide influence to help you become a better leader. So with that, we're going to sign off, say goodbye, and hope to see you again real soon. You've been listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense hosted by Doug Thorpe. If you would like to know more about the coaching and advisory services he provides, visit DougThorpe.com.